Jerry Fielder is the curator and director of the estate okay. of Joseph Karsh. And I was hired to be his photography assistant, which I was, until we closed the studio in 1992. And the studio was in the uh, Chateau Laurier in Ottawa, Canada, which is where we are today. And so what I'd like to talk about, given your expertise in photography and publishing, is the process by which one would go about publishing a book of photographs. So where do we start? Well, for a number of years, what he would do is he would publish books. Uh, every few years, he would update the books, and they often contained some of his classic portraits, and then portraits that had been made since the last book had been published. When was the first book that, that he published? One was in 1949, and that was a book mostly of politicians of the day, heroes of, of World War II. But then in the 50s, he started traveling more, started doing more, uh, a wider variety of subjects. And in 1959, he wanted to publish a book that was a much higher quality than the first one. It reflected his own interests. So let's look at the difference then in the quality and the technology. Were you involved? You're a bit young for the first one, I guess. I was four years old. <laughs> right. <laughs> what kind of technology then would have been involved in the publishing of the first book of uh, photographs of his? I wouldn't say it was a high-end book. It was on glossy paper, but I think for the time it was, it was as good as, as technology was. But by 1959, when he did his second book, which is entitled Portraits of Greatness. He wanted uh, photographs that reflected his interests more, more of a personal book. That His interests were um, artists, uh, literature, um, diplomacy. He was quite well read, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. Yeah. So his, his education was brief because he came here as an immigrant when he was 15. He went to work with his uncle, uh, who had brought him over, who was a photographer in Sherbrooke, Quebec. So he started working in the studio soon after he, he came, and that's where his, his passion was. But he was very much a self-educated man and very educated. Um, he loved to read, he loved architecture, he loved literature, music. So it must have been a thrill for him to, to come into contact with so many of his, uh, if not heroes, then certainly people that he would have respected. Absolutely. As you may know, his background, uh, he came from uh, Armenia and Turkey during the massacre. Family fled. And I think that you can go one of two ways in an experience like that. You can be extraordinarily bitter about things in your life. Uh, Yusuf tended to look at the positive, and he had admiration for people that were trying to build life, trying to add to life in the arts. Not only creative, but also people uh, like, like Churchill or Eleanor Roosevelt or Helen Keller or people that were contributing to life, and he had great admiration for, for people like that. Mm -hmm. He published his second book, Portraits of Greatness in 1959, and that was Photogravure, okay. which is a very fine process. And Can you tell us about that process? It's a combination of photography and printing, really, and the book was made in a way that was very loosely bound so that the pages could be taken out rather easily without cannibalizing the book, mm -hmm. and they could be framed, they could be, they could be used for display um, for people's homes, for their people's private collections, or... You could actually tear them out? You could actually, you know, in fact, if, if you have a book and you look through it a lot of, of that book, the pages start to, to fall out. And that, and that was fairly deliberate. Was it sort of just glued in so you could pull it out without tearing it? Yes, you could, yes. Okay. Yes. That's interesting that it would be constructed in such a way as to be deconstructed. Yes. Intentionally. Intentionally. 
I mean, they weren't, weren't meant to be original photographs, but you know, the people might like to, um, to have these and use these, and people do. They, um, they, people can find a copy of this book. It's, it's long out of print and, and rather expensive to find if you find it. But people do find them, and then they take the, the, the photographs out, and then they, they frame them, and they sell them on eBay. or. Did he seek out a publisher? For this, or was he approached, or was it the same publisher that he had in 1949? A lot of the books were published through uh, University of Toronto Press, and he was very close friends with Marshawn Ray at uh, University of Toronto Press. There were other editions done at times um, with other other publishers, but that's that's who he worked with primarily. In the later years, in the three books that are in front of us now, the, the English version of the catalog, the Georges Historisches Museum in, in Berlin. There was a large exhibition in, in Berlin. Uh, it took over the entire museum, actually. It was huge, as you can see from the volume in this catalog. In around 2000? So, comparatively rec recently. Comparatively recently, yes. And, and this book uh, examines all the facets of his career. Uh, most of the books previously had been about portraits of the, the, the famous and the accomplished. And, but he did other things. He did he did assignments uh, here in Canada for uh, McLean's magazine. He spent 18 months traveling through Canada, photographing all the major cities yeah. and the people in the cities. And it was it was his his most deep excursion into photojournalism. And every month they would publish for 18 months they would publish a different city, okay. and they would show the car's photographs over a number of pages. And then that was made into a book called Sea Canada. By, by Fisher and, and Karsh. Fisher did the, the text and Karsh did, Karsh did the photographs. Thanks. He also did assignments for, for uh, Ford of Canada, um, beautiful photographs, industrial photographs for their and report for Atlas Steel. This was all in the early 50s. Portraiture was his, his love, and so he went back to portraiture. He would do other things, but, 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 uh, but this, this time from the early 50s to the mid 50s was quite a departure from what he'd done before. It's a way for him to make money too, though. I, you know, I assume. But also, he he found after the war a nobility that he could relate to, in the men and women who were trying to rebuild the world. He, mm -hmm. he could relate to that because of the way he rebuilt his own life. As did many people who came to Canada and, and the United States. As did many people. So the the last three or four books really focus more on the breadth of his his work. The book that that you found. Um, catalog from Berlin. It shows his early photographs in the 1930s. He was doing passport photographs. He was doing debutantes. Yeah. He was doing. He was a, a, a struggling photographer. He was just beginning his career. He had a little shop front, did he? He had a studio on Spark Street in the Hardy Arcade yeah. here in Ottawa. And uh, he had gone to work for a man named John Powis in 1931. Powis retired the next year, and by the end of 32, Yusuf took over his studio at the Hardy Arcade. And that remained his, his studio until 1972 when he moved to the, the Chateau Laurier. But while he was doing during the day, as I say, everything from passport photographs to wedding photographs mm -hmm. to. Yeah. But what he was doing for his own pleasure was really interesting. With the, th with the little theater. With the little theater and, and for his own pleasure. There's a wonderful photograph called Elixir of, of his wife at the time, uh, Solange Gautier. And it's three photographs of her nudes in a bottle. I mean, technically, it, it, it was extraordinarily difficult to do. So while he's doing a passport photograph during the day, he's doing things like this in his own time. Right, right. So 
again, some of the, the experimental work he was doing in the 1930s when he was stretching, growing. He did some advertising work uh, when Edward Steichen uh, gave up the Kodak account in the 40s, then Yusuf took over. It sounds wonderful. He's being paid to see the country that he lives in and to meet people and encounter fabulously famous and beautiful people and creative people. And he must have really taken a lot of pleasure from what he did and gotten a lot out of his work. He did. Certainly by the 1950s, when he was doing the work for McLean's, it wasn't for money. Especially after 1941, when he quit Churchill, he was quite successful. Artistically, it interested him. I'm speaking to Jerry Fielder, who is the director and curator of the uh, estate of Joseph Karsh. The fact that he took Churchill's photograph it appeared everywhere. So did he get royalties wherever it appeared? Yes. He did. After that, his income was from commissions, and he did very well. And he certainly did well enough that he could he could pretty much pick and choose whatever he wanted to do. He did a lot of lengthy assignments for, for Life magazine, and 18 covers for Life. He didn't like to go and ask someone if, they could, if he could photograph them. He waited until they came to him. Pretty much after 1941, until the end of his career, sooner or later, almost everyone did. To be photographed by Karsh was a sign of accomplishment. Immortality. He loved what he did, and, and he felt that if he asked someone if he could photograph them, that the dynamics weren't right. He wanted someone to want to be photographed. Mm -hmm. He wanted it to be a collaboration. They both had to be enthusiastic about it. Exactly. Let's get back to books then. Yes. The technology then had improved from 1959, then what, every, every 10 years or so, he would almost like a poet come out with new and selected poems, for example. Yeah, that's a good analogy. It was more often than every 10 years. It was every few years, I mean, 19 altogether. I, I did a book for the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston about four years ago. The museum was going to do a, a new edition of a previous book, and they asked me if I'd be interested in, in redoing it. So I did it. It's called A Karsha Biography and Images, published by the Museum of Fine Arts Boston. I wanted to, to show the different aspects of his career, so that the book is divided basically into three sections. The early work, automobile theater, experimental work, up basically until Churchill, and then on assignment, the McLean series, Act of Steel, Board of Canada, Kodak, and then the third part is, is the classic portraits. Okay. And then this past year, the Museum of Fine Arts did a major retrospective based on the book and used the book as the catalog. So the process then, why would you have selected one work over another to include it in the book? Well, the, the criteria that I wanted for this book was not based on fame or accomplishment. It was based on how beautiful is the photograph in terms of composition and lighting and technique. Let's have a look at uh, one of your favorites then and dissect that. Well, one of my favorites in this book is, is Francois Morin. As you know, he won the, the Nobel Prize for Literature and uh, uh, photographed him. And he went um, to Morin's apartment in Paris, lugged all this equipment up uh, the flights of stairs, set everything up, and, and the power went on in the building. So he waited until power came on, but his power did not come on. And as, as he said himself, he lugged his camera and up five flights of stairs. He wasn't about to do it again. But his early training with his uncle Natcash in Sherbrooke, Quebec, and his mentor John Garrow in Boston, it all been with natural light. So what he did was he, he put Moriac in near a window. He, he had an assistant take a sheet off the bed and hold it up as a reflector. And he made this incredible, beautiful profile with just like a, a little pencil of light outlining the face. In, in the 
the same book, the one uh, that's next to it of, of Sir Bertrand Russell, you don't see his face. He's completely in, in dark profile, but you have a sense of him, and if you, if you know anything about him and his work, he had a, a way of getting the essence. And of course there's the famous portrait he did of public assault, which is taken from the rear. You yes, don't see yeah, him at that. all. Yeah. And yet there is such a feeling. Mm -hmm. Well, the way he that. sort of bent over his cello. Yeah. Now you used the word uh, beautiful quite a few times. Mm -hmm. So what is it about these photographs that make them beautiful? For me, the lighting, the composition, and the feel that you get from it. I worked for him for 30 years, and I would hear again and again the families of the people that he photographed. That that's exactly my father. That's exactly my mother. That's exactly the man I worked for. That's and that is the essence. He just had a way of relating to people. He had a way of seeing something in them that was real and genuine. He had a way of dropping the mask. Uh, Estelita, his, his wife, is, who's uh, a medical writer, uh, before they they married, has a wonderful analogy which is you go to see a doctor and you disrobe and you're not embarrassed. You're in the hands of a professional, you're there to be examined. And Yusuf just had a way of relating to people mm -hmm. that they felt very emotionally comfortable, that they would emotionally disrobe. He was a real person, a genuine person, and you knew that instantly. And, and because he was real and he was himself, they felt that they could be real and they could be themselves. And they could reveal themselves. And they could reveal themselves. And also, uh, he had such a reputation, he was so well known, they had seen his work, and, and they knew that nothing was going to be embarrassing. They would trust him. It, they would trust him. I mean, it may be a very unusual portrait, sometimes it would show a bit of sadness or a bit of emotion of one way or another, mm -hmm. but it was real. It's interesting, the parallels with the work of literature. That's exactly how many people define great literature, is by the way it makes them feel. The, the work of art triggers a corresponding response. It does. And that's what's captured, is the emotional display or experience that that character is going through at the time, I suppose. I think, Nigel, also that, like literature, I think this is a very good analogy, because I think great portraits, like great literature, allow you to bring something of yourself to it. There's space left for the viewer. There is, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's one reason that his portraits have lasted for so long. It, it tells you something about them. But also, I think they, they speak to people. Like the Casals portrait. It allows you to bring emotion to the photograph. Mm -hmm. Take emotion from it. So the printing of this book yeah. was, was interesting. There's a, a, an extraordinary printer, one of the best in the world, named uh, Jean Genoux, who is in Lausanne, in Switzerland. And Yusuf and, and Shah had, had worked on two or three books together previously. And Yusuf would go and be on press. And I'd known Jean for quite a long time. So when it came time to do this book for the Museum of, of Fine Arts in Boston, we asked Jean if, if he would do the book. So I went over and I was on press with, with Jean Fort. And it was a wonderful collaboration because Jean knew Yusuf so well, mm. knew what Yusuf liked. And then the last book that, that uh, was done the, um, the book regarding heroes, which is the catalog for the exhibition this year at the Art Institute of Chicago. Uh, the curator, David Travis, and I went back to Jean, and uh, we were on press for the printing of, of that, which is the most recent book. Can you describe exactly what you did on press? Well, it's a thrill. It's so exciting, and it's, it's the reverse of photography, in a way. In, in the dark room, you take a white piece of paper and you put it in developer and you watch it come up when you're on press 
it comes off the press and you watch it go down. It's very dark and as the ink settles into the paper within 20-30 minutes you see what it's actually going to look like. So it sort of lightens up a bit like the w when you when you paint a wall. Yes, when, when it comes out, especially, I mean, the papers are, are, are fairly glossy, so when it comes right off the press, mm. the ink is sitting on the top of the paper. Yeah. So you wait 20, 30 minutes for it to sink down into the paper to see what it's going to look like. Just in the four years in between the biography and images book for the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston and the, the catalog for the Art Institute, technology had changed so rapidly that as beautiful as the first book is, the art and images, the techniques are, are so different now. And so much improved. For example, what can you can you talk about the changes? Well, part of it is the scans that are done for the photographs. The whole point is to take an original photograph and to make, not improve it, not change no, it, no. to make it look like the original. And as you do anything with generation to generation, from the original to the scan, from the scan and to, to the print, you're going to have changes. Mm -hmm. But with computers and with modern printing techniques, you can adjust things more finely so that the Chicago book, the most recent one, the most yeah. recent one, they look incredibly like the originals. I mean, it's, it's a bit frightening what, what can be done. Whereas the previous one, a biography and images, when you look at the original and you look at the copy in the book, there's, an, there's an appreciable difference. I, I wouldn't say the average eye, probably not. Right. Certainly, to my eye or curator's eye, yes, there is, but it's it's but it's it's fairly slight. We're talking you know degrees here. It, it's beautifully printed. They're wonderful reproductions. But the ones in in regarding heroes are are, are even better. Forgive me for being anal here, but it it would primarily be in what the shading and the tones would be that much closer to the original. Well, yes. I mean, there's two parts of photography. Yeah. There, there's what you do in the camera room. There's there's the lighting, there's the composition, there's but the other half is in the dark room. And Yusuf was a master technician. All of his chemistry was to his own formulas. Not to get into too many technical things, but he would develop his negatives by inspection. Uh, usually, it's done by time and temperature. You you put negatives in in the bath. You 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 time it. You have it at a certain number of degrees, and you take it out. What he would do there was an old something called a Kodak desensitizer that would desensitize the film to very low levels of green light. So in the dark room, when we were developing negatives, you'd have to wait 15, 20 minutes, and you'd turn this, this little green light, and if you hadn't been there 15, 20 minutes, you really wouldn't be able to even see it. So he would actually, as he was developing, he would hold up his negatives to this light, and he could look at the highlights, the shadows. Each single one was developed individually, different time, different length of time, so that each one had just exactly where he wanted it. So when you look at his original prints, there can be light flooding in a window. There's one of Jean-Paul Riopel, um, where he's, he's sitting and, and the light's just flooding in. And yet, in the shadows inside the room, you can see every little detail. Mm -hmm. And unless you've ever really done photography, you don't realize how hard that is to do. Now, especially with, with digital photography and cameras being so popular, I, I have a very good friend, Bob Colbrenner, who's a very gifted photographer, and he's also a flautist. He likes to say that uh, if you buy a camera, you're a photographer. If you buy a flute, you own a flute. And people don't realize, now that we have Photoshop and all these things you can mm. do, unless they actually study photography, how difficult it is to do the things that he has done. 
So it's very important to us when we do his books that we, we represent as closely as we can those highlights, those shadows, accurately. Today we can use our, our digital camera and snap away and get all sorts of effects yes. that were very, very difficult to get prior to that technology. Is that what we need to admire him for? Certainly one of the things, yes. yes. His assignment for Ford of Canada, there's a photograph in the paint shop of these, these two painters, and they are in the, the shop, and in the background is a car being painted. It's two different negatives because of lighting conditions and constraint of space. He photographed these two gentlemen who were painters, made a portrait of them in the paint shop. And then through masks, through the removing of emulsion, through the scraping, through and then he sandwiched the negatives together. And when you look at it, it is seamless, including the lighting and the direction of the light. This is incredibly hard to do. Today in Photoshop, you can do it with a piece of cake, no problem. In previous books, people would look at the books they were familiar with, oh, there's the photograph of Hemingway, oh, there's the photograph of Picasso, and how beautiful. And then people would go to exhibitions, and they would say, wow especially these last two books, Large Green Images and Regarding Heroes, people look at the books and go, wow. I'm thinking about this, uh, the whole concept of the copy versus the original and how the copy is getting closer and closer to the original. Yes. And how his originals are works of art, that they're unique, but that gap is becoming... It's closing, but because film and the qualities of film and photographic paper and chemicals nothing I don't think is ever going to match original prints I and mean, people make copies of prints all the time when you make a copy it, it's, it's a different technique and I, I just don't think it would ever it will ever come to where you hold them side by side and say I can't tell the difference uh, at the press run did you actually have the original with you or not no for one thing uh, for instance the, the last book regarding heroes um, there's a hundred photographs and to send a hundred original photographs out of a museum temperature humidity controlled situation into a, a printing plant was Foolish, not yeah. practical. After 30 years, having worked with the prints. So you're using your memory then as much as anything. Yeah. yeah I've, I've worked on God knows how many of his original prints and they are, <laughs> for better or for worse, locked into, into my mind. Just to, in closing, what are the key factors then when producing uh, a book of photographs. What differentiates a, a very good book of photograph from a great book? Well, certainly the printing. I think more than anything, the printing. You need a master printer then. You need a master printer. And Jean goes back. Jean is now, uh, I think, around 80. And like Yusuf, I think one of the things that makes Jean one of, one of the most respected and highly admired printers in, in the world of photography. Um, Sorry, what's his last name again? Genou. Jean Genou. But like Yusuf, because Yusuf started with natural light, with very early processes of, of developing and printing, and then advanced all through his career and learned so much more, but each added on and each layer made things better, but all of that's like building a building. Mm -hmm. He had this foundation. If you don't have that foundation, you're not going to have such a, such a wonderful building. Mm -hmm. And Jean had gone through all the techniques of printing over his career. He'd been involved in printing all of his life. And he can take a bit from here and a bit from there, and uh, not just the technique of today, mm -hmm. but he can apply. It's like with Moriac. You can you can take old techniques and you can uh, you can apply them in other ways. You're not limited to just the current technology. Which is one of the joys of being alive.
today you, you get the benefit of everything that's come prior to it. Yes, you do. Yeah. And and the other thing uh, that I do want to say about about Husserl's books these days is that so many people are focusing on all the different aspects of his career. There's, there's a book currently out, a catalog done by the Art Gallery of Windsor in Ontario, just of his industrial photographs. Mm. Regarding heroes, the book for the Chicago catalog is, is purely portraits, and hopefully there'll be books in the Little Theater. I mean, there are mm -hmm. so many things that, that are still to be explored. Well, thank you very much for sharing uh, your expertise and uh, knowledge and connection with Joseph Karsh and preserving his great works for us to enjoy. Well, thank you, Nigel. It was a great pleasure for me.